0: Back here to poke holes and suspended disbelief.
1: Anyway, they see some weird shit, they decide to make a baby.
0: Thou working merchant. Who gives a fuck? Well, you know, uh, I really like it here. Uh, It's kind of nice, and uh, it's not as cold as back home, and the soil is a lot better. So, yeah, sure, I think we're gonna settle.
1: If I'm a peasant boy who grabs a sword out of a stone. Yeah. I'm able to open people up. You will yeah. Anytime I hit them with it, right? Yeah. So my cleave landing will make me a cavalier.
0: Good days, If Siskel thought it was empty-headed plebeian trash, it was probably <laughs> a really good
1: groove on it. <laughs> because cannibalism and murder. Pull back just a little bit and build walls to keep out the redheads. And he's a thrill intent doesn't exist. Some people stand up to wipe their butts, some people stay seated to wipe their butts. Like it just A geek history of time,
0: where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history and English teacher here in Northern California, and um, I I have had I've had one of those uh, you, you are now a person of a certain age moments uh, okay. in in just the past week. So the genesis of it is a couple of months ago. Uh, a very good friend, longtime friend of mine and my dm off and on for half my life passed away um ryan mcmurtry uh listener of the show uh and a good friend of mine um and we the the group um kind of had to figure out what what we were going to do to remember him he he was very specific uh that You know, he, he did not, he he was not a believer. There was no, you know, uh, and, and so there, there was no service. There was no event, you know, um, and so we, we decided as a group that, uh, we were going to finish out the camp, the most recent campaign he had been running. We're going to have two final sessions of that. And then, as a group, we had to figure out kind of where we all wanted to go, and we decided that we all wanted to continue playing as a group. And um, it it sounds at this point like I'm going to be the one to take over as our DM for for the once in a month game that we that we have. And I have to admit, it's really weird, but thinking about taking over that role. And taking that role over specifically from him um, is m- kind of messing with me. Uh, like I, I really feel a very significant level of weight from it. Um and there's there's another member of our group who who may yet decide that no, no, he wants to be the one to to take over. Um, but he hasn't really said very much and he and I were the only two who said we'd be willing to do it. So right now I'm kind of thinking it's going to be me. Um, so yeah. Um, being, being on the wrong side of 45 or the, the higher side of 45, um, this is this is, I guess, one of those weird nerd life experiences. It's like, well, now I got to take over his DM. <laughs> so, yeah, I have that going on and and that's a bit heavy. So I'm going to now ask you, uh, what have you got going on?
1: Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I am a Latin and U.S. history teacher up here in Northern California. And uh, my grandma died. Well, shit. I just wanted to top you. Um, oh, okay. All right. All right. <laughs> like That actually happened, but I also yeah. just wanted to top you. Yeah. So uh, Fair enough. She, she lived a long and wonderful life, and she was surrounded by people she loved and people who loved her. And I, I am intensely happy for her, actually, mm-hmm. and happy for my mom for getting to be there. That having been said, uh, no, a uh, couple things on the, on the D&D side. Number one, um, my daughter decided that she wanted to create a subclass called the College of the Idiot. Um, and it's essentially, it's, it's a subclass of bard and okay. for 5e and, uh, it is, I'm just going to read to you what my daughter wrote. Cause she is a published author. Okay. Um, Bards of the college of idiots are few and far between as they're not necessarily the most clever dashing heroes we all know and love. That's my 10 year old's opening sentence. Wow. Accidental comedians, your bumbling nature gets you into and out of trouble, endearing you to others and keeping you from harm. I swear to God, this is a Damien self-insert. Um, Maybe. <laughs> unlike most bards who have to know things, your lack of knowledge somehow carries you through. The only reason you weren't hit by that warlock's eldritch blast is that you stepped in a bucket and slipped. My daughter wrote this. <laughs> Dodging masterfully out of the way of the barbarian's hand axe isn't your thing. You're more inclined to be barreled over by the charging centaur in your party. If you're a bard of the College of the Idiot, you don't mean to be adventuring. You say stupid things and confuse everyone around you. You're a dummy who just happens to be on this marvelous adventure and, whoa, that arrow almost hit me. Thank goodness I was busy throwing up because of that poison gas. (laughs) (laughs) I I
0: I I don't know what edition I'm going to be running for our but campaign. Would you like but me to I come, in, to as yes. mm. come yeah. in as a guest? That yes. Can I come in as a guest as the College of the Idiot? Oh my god! Well, at the very least, you're you're going to appear as an NPC, <laughs> okay. like as a as a, Oh my god! So yeah, yeah, so, and, and, and and the role playing of that is you to a T. T. Mm-hmm so that's, it, that's yeah at,
1: at third levels uh your clumsiness and idiocy keeps you out of the way of harm you can fall prone and get back up again spending only 10 feet of movement as a reaction okay um, so essentially you're chumbolwombiting nice. um you nice. can redirect any attack that misses you by more than 5 uh you can have it bounce off of something and hit another creature or like you know it misses you yeah. by more than 5 so it it accidentally cleaves their friend Nice. um and your uh you can do that up to your charisma modifier per rest as a reaction so it's it's almost like snatching arrows but for morons and your charisma bonus now counts toward your armor class if you're not wearing any armor
0: okay mm-hmm. which which of the wilson brothers is it who's famous for saying wow is that is that luke wilson
1: oh no that's owen i was thinking owen, about the owen beach wilson. boys <laughs> oh, okay yeah that okay that that works too but
0: no, I I'm picturing I'm 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 so very clearly wow. picturing like Owen Wilson, doing, yeah. like, oh wow, man, wow. you know, wow. Look at the <laughs> like pledging. that wow that really looked like it hurt. Did you mean to hit him like that?
1: Right. So that's called fool's luck. Okay. Um, also, at third level, you get yes and. Uh... <laughs> <It's> a... <laughs> which <laughs> starting at third level as a reaction you can use one of your inspiration dice to roll a d6 and then she puts up a chart because my daughter is a, a, a young yeah. guygax. yeah number on a one you double the range of the spell okay uh if it's a touch spell it goes 10 foot radius okay um number t- on a on a two you increase the die uh code so if okay it's a d6 it does a d8 okay. and on and on um a number three on a three the type of damage gets switched and then she says you have to roll a d12 and there's another chart for that because there's 13 kinds of damage okay so it switches from your kind to one of the 12 one of the others okay right um which i really love because oh yes and it's piercing um (laughs) and it's like bro that's that's a totemic barbarian like you just made it so this 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 was going to do psychic damage god damn it like yeah (laughs) or four, it imposes disadvantage to the target for the spells uh uh, of the spell for the save required which is kind of cool okay um on a five it now only uh, the the spell actually only requires a bonus action to cast and if it's a Mm. bonus action it turns into reaction wow and on a six it it doesn't cost you a slot so it's pretty cool like it's good yeah all right Yeah,
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: Also, at third level, you get, how do you know that? Um, because <laughs> the requirement is that uh, your stri- your your intelligence can be no higher than a nine. Okay. Yeah. So starting at third level, once per long rest, you can activate this feature. You choose one intelligence-based skill roll, and you swap out your, your charisma modifier for it. Um, okay. Uh, at sixth level, you do it twice per long rest. At 14th level, you do it thrice per long rest um however uh you can never make it on the same skill twice in that long rest so you did a history check this morning you can't do one later tonight you have to you're gonna have to choose arcana or something else like so it's nice and then it's it's
0: that it's that random mm -hmm. wait what
1: yeah yeah like and then there's also i absolutely know what i'm doing which is once per short rest (laughs) You you can uh, cast one of the following spells, and it's like a lot of your your divination spells. Okay. Um, and you can just you can just do that. Uh, and then there's uh, finally there's who me, um, which you gain more spells that don't count against your spell usage, but you can only cast them once per long rest, right? Okay. So confusion and compelled duel. Uh. <laughs> He's an angry elf.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so this is the 14th level one
0: right <laughs> i'm sorry i'm just i'm picturing the, the 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 effect of the confusion being is is he really that dumb right yeah that's exactly like, right Like, like whole...
1: <laughs> and then you get the feature called enrage the target opponent must make an intelligence save versus your spell save dc if they succeed, nothing happens. If they fail, your buffoonery has so befuddled them that they're at disadvantage for all attacks, saves, and skill checks until your next turn. You can do this uh, charisma modifier per long rest.
2: Shut up! Will you shut up?
1: Okay, but, like, I just wanted to tell you that Velcro is actually just little miniature hooks. That's it. That's And then <laughs> they're at disadvantage to hit you. You son of a bitch! Just... <laughs>
0: So ah. anyway, so so the is this is this handwritten or is this in a, a a format that you can that you can shoot this off to me?
1: Oh, she saved this as a Google Doc for me, so I will I will send it because, to you as well.
0: Okay, because a a friend of mine, mm-hmm. uh, my my college buddy Nick, uh, I, I have to send this to him because like we we didn't realize what you were aiming for all these years. Yeah. But I think I think this is a rule set you could do yeah. yeah like and and also the thought that's occurred to me uh, throughout the whole time you've been describing this is tell me your father is a stand-up comic without telling me your father is a
1: stand-up comic <laughs> yeah. this is as self-insert as Tom Bombadil is like oh yeah, is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway so that's, that's what brilliant. I've got going on so nice. yeah, if 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 y'all uh Y'all need a guest star to get you from here to there in the most hilarious way. I I hold up my hand, which is somehow covered in jelly. Yeah. Um and <laughs> like it. and step two with a bucket in my in my uh, foot. Yeah. So I like it. But yeah. Like so it. all right. So we talked about masculinity last time. Yeah. Speaking
0: uh, of, of buffoonery. Yes. Um, um we we were talking about, you know, hyper hyper masculinized buffoons, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, And so, of course, the the, you know, thesis at the end uh, Mm -hmm. was that, you know, all of this was a response to uh, the the feeling of traditional masculinity being attacked Mm -hmm. and and the feeling of diminution associated with with the late 70s and and, you know, the early 80s. This this showing up as as a reaction to that. So now we're going to we're going to move ahead about 15 years uh, in the timeline. Oh, OK. Uh, so the tail end of the fantasy bubble
1: mm-hmm.
0: is like 84.
1: So Reagan, 84, term. 85. Yeah. Yeah. So. so the
0: beginning of Reagan's second term. And and we kind of we touched on um, the idea that what we start seeing at that point is uh the fantasy bubble mm-hmm. uh pops but then we start seeing uh Arnold Schwarzenegger and um uh Sylvester Stallone right kind of picking up that mantle in either sci-fi or in straight up action movies
1: right yeah you know so the fantasy um, dries up but the masculinity does Yeah not.
0: the masculinity thing continues on but it's not being presented in this uh, this particular kind of escapism mm-hmm. okay because i mean action movies obviously are are escapist but it's it's a different it's a yeah. different kind of thing Because and... fantasy
1: movies are escapism universe on down to person yeah whereas action movies are escapism in Costa Rica, like you yeah. are going to a specific spot in the world. The Nakatomi yeah. Plaza, yeah. the, you're, you know, you're whatever. getting your
0: ass to Mars, you yeah. know, or like,
1: but, you know, it's, it's sci-fi, but it's still, it's a, a recognizable place.
0: With. Yeah. It's, it's a recognizable place in the, in the physical world that we live in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so we have about 15 years that go by mm-hmm. and we don't really have any major traditional fantasy films that make a huge dent in the zeitgeist. Um, mm-hmm there's Dragonheart, which lots of people love but right.
1: was not didn't blow up no it was um honestly it was a bit of a, a disappointment uh yeah. box office wise which is yes. a shame because you had uh oh god what's the guy's name uh david toolies is that his name um
0: who who played
1: the prince oh
0: also, yeah yeah, yeah um, uh yeah.
1: You had kind of his debut, and he had this like a little bit, yeah. I mean, you had okay, so you had Sean Connery with the yeah. uh, just the voice made for a fucking dragon, like it was yeah. about time, yeah. Um, and then you had uh Dennis Quaid, um, yep, yeah, okay, yeah, that was Dennis Quaid, not Randy Quaid, would yeah. have been a funny yeah, not read. Randy, no, so good <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> at our booth, and have a picture, yeah. I'm-
0: <laughs> <laughs> now I'm picturing that and, and right? I need to drink, but yeah, Eddie okay.
1: as, as a dragon as, slayer,
0: as a it's, dragon, it's, as a, dr- yeah. Wow. But,
1: um, and you had Pete weight in that, um, mm-hmm. and you had, uh, yeah, you had all of them kind of bringing, um, David Tooley's kind of to the fore who plays this like skeevy. I mean, he's a redhead, so of course he is, but like this kind of skeevy, <laughs> skinny, but also like. Weirdly, dangerously sexy. Yeah, um, slimeball character. There was this character. weird kind of sensual edge going on there. Yeah, was there was like it bizarre. was like, hey, hey Siri, can you personify avarice for me? Um, yeah, and that's exactly. Oh, my phone just said. Uh, <laughs> I should not have had my phone nearby for that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was. Um, it was. It was. It was odd the way that um, they they put all these pieces together and yet this for some reason did not work like and and it did feel like it was a return to um what do you call it 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 did feel like a return uh to to fantasy movies um yeah
0: and then but, it didn't go anywhere
1: well and maybe I, I let me let me ask you this so you had um and if i'm stepping on your toes here please stop me mm, mm, um no. but you had in that movie you had Three male characters. One who yeah. is the last of his kind. I am the last one. Yeah. Um You ha- who so he he's grief. You had one who is burnt out. So he's not. He is he is grumpy masculinity. You know, in Dennis Quaid. Yeah. You had Pete Postlewaite, yeah. who was who was a buffoon. Um. You know, yeah. an academic. Uh. Who's I, honestly, I would love to pattern in character after him. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, just you know, yeah somebody who brings a donkey with him into battle, you know, yeah uh, but and then you had David Toley who he's not macho masculinity he is he is that dangerous um sinister masculinity he is yeah. a human jafar in a lot of ways,
0: yeah, yeah, um, that's a good that's I like that analogy, yeah, yeah, and so like, a good comparison
1: all these guys, and not a single one of them is. You know that uh, bare chested Hyper, masculinity,
0: yeah, oiled up, yeah, none of that, yeah, none of it.
1: Uh, you don't no. see. I mean, mm-hmm. he's Thule's is the least dressed of them all, and it's yeah. it's hanging off of him because he's so goddamn scrawny. Um,
0: yeah, and and yeah. it's a little bit in the and and I think I think that's an interesting thing to point out. I would not even going to go into that, but now that you've brought that up, that, mm-hmm. that's an interesting thing to point out because that look is mm-hmm. much more aligned with the 70s Mick Jagger, Led Zeppelin, you know, um, kind of androgynous. Yes. You know, skinny jeans and and the shirt open, or, you know, the blousey mm-hmm. shirt mm-hmm. open almost to the navel, you know, yeah. That that isn't traditionally masculine, but you look at it and you're like, well, but it ain't really feminine either.
1: Right, it's uh, you're, but, you. You hit it on the yeah. head. It's the androgyny. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, Dina Meyer was the most masculine character in there as far as macho goes. <laughs> yeah, she really was. And by the yeah. way, like it's kind of her coming out party too. Like, look how awesome my hair is. Yeah. Um, and also look at how badass I am. You know. Oh, um, yeah. totally. So you have a bit of inversion going on there. With that's yeah. interesting that you you brought to that movie specifically because yeah. because of how. Non hypermasculine it is, and how mm. many reminders we have because there were different aspects. Like each of them yeah. is archetypically different. Um, I mean, hell, yeah, John like Norris's a different, like a different
0: avatar of the seven only, yes. only aspects of masculinity.
1: Yes, you which, know, and mm. and they're all failures. Every single one yes, of them, and every that movie single is one of failure. them, yeah, yeah. Do you think that's why it did so poorly? Or was 1990? Um, oh, you know, 1996, you had. So much more sci-fi going on. So oh yeah, that's what it yeah. was.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. I think the the popular imagination just was not in a place for right. swords and wizards and dragons that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, it was it was Independence Day, right? Like that was yeah that was the big yeah one. yeah okay interesting yeah so I mean, okay so yeah. so that's 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 kind of the only one at that time, right? Well, yeah,
0: but we we also I I have a couple of other titles to mention here. Okay. There's also First Night with uh again John Connery and Richard yep. Gear
1: also who is known for his sensuality yes but and not he, bare and he plays Lancelot macho. A lot. yeah he plays yeah. Lancelot but yeah. he's scummy Lancelot yeah and then yeah he, okay so Richard Gere is it's I'm I'm probably gonna interrupt on all of these because I guess I saw them all yeah no, um, no, yeah but uh Richard Gear is like that that sexy that I never understood. Like, okay. I don't get people's attraction to him. There's nothing outstanding about him, and there's nothing particularly sweet about him or charming. Well, and yet people <clears throat> lost their shit over him. Like, they yeah, well, and, I mean, American Gigolo was
0: his, yeah. his, you know, name making movie. Right.
1: But like at <sighs> this point, he's silver foxed, too. More yeah, he, which, to is, which is which is interesting,
0: which is interesting for what they're yeah. doing in that movie. But
1: yeah, right. Um and everybody's hyper dressed up too.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: I I really think I really think First
0: Night mm-hmm. is an interesting example of a movie that caters far more to the female gaze.
1: Oh. Okay. That's why uh, I didn't find you it know, attractive because I'm a, Yeah, that makes yeah. that 100% tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Who was that one in that one? Was that Julia Ormond? Was she? Uh,
0: yes. She was I, one of I, if like I'm that. remembering right, it was Julia Ormond. Yeah. And so, and then the the third title that I have to mention is an adaptation of Beowulf with Christopher Lambert in the title role. Um which which did not do well because um I I like I'm a huge Highlander fan. Mm-hmm. It's a shame they only made one movie. <laughs> um, you know, I love that film to death. Uh, um, if they, if they could have made a sequel, that would have been awesome. Uh, uh, but, um, but, but Christopher Lambert playing essentially a Dane. I mean, he's not a Dane, he's a geek. but sure. like, you know, putting putting him in the role of playing a proto Scandinavian warriors, like, right. It, it just doesn't sell. So.
1: Okay, so you're bouncing around a little bit in the timeline here. A little so bit I'm, in the timeline. I'm, time gonna, I'm line, gonna bring yeah. it back just a little yeah. bit then. So First Night comes out first. It's ninety-five.
0: Yeah, um, well, I'm actually gonna go back a little bit further because I also to... mentioned Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. I was gonna say, are we talking to ninety one Robin Hood? Yeah. And the thing <laughs> is, Robin Hood was, was a pretty good was a pretty big hit. It was. But it falls far more under the category of period drama you're right. than fantasy. Um, right. it's, it's, I mean, of course it's entirely fictional cause you know, the figure of Robin hood never existed, but it is, it is set in a specific time period in yes, a specific place. And they did a very good job of not succumbing to the temptation of, well, you know, but is there a little magic, you know, that, that, that hand wavy yeah. kind of trick yeah. that, that screenwriters like to try to pull, you know. They didn't do any of that. It was all very, you know, it was, it was, I mean, you know, nobody could actually ever survive being flung by a catapult like that, but other than a couple of seriously unbelievable things, it was grounded in the, the era and, and place and time in which it was, in which it was set.
1: Okay, so let's let's look at that one first, then, because you got that one, okay. then you got First night, then you got yep. Dragonheart, which I think we've already talked about, and then you've got um, uh, Beowulf. Beowulf, but honestly, right after Beowulf, I will point out to you, there was in fact a sequel to Highlander, it's called Highlander Endgame, um, and that one is where he passed the torch to Adrian Paul. Why did you turn off your computer? Um no, <laughs> but, <laughs> you're dead to me. Uh, no, uh, you, Okay, no, you're TV right. right. About, yeah. You're
0: right. I forgot and about in game. I forgot. You're right. I forgot that Endgame. happens
1: the year after Beowulf. So yeah. uh, both of and... which have, and there's some. Okay, so so you got Nebraska and Robin Hood. Um, which I'm sorry, <laughs> but the Moore had an English accent
0: had had a had a better English. There are a couple of times, there are a couple of times where you can hear um Kevin no Costner trying.
1: No, at no point did he have an English accent. At oh no, no.
0: I'm point. not saying he had one. I'm saying you yeah. can hear him
1: trying. Uh no, no, and I he... disagree. He threw out. away. Okay. He's like, no, fuck this. Unless you're talking about the point where he smothered himself in shit and then pretended to be the blind old man. Yeah. Okay. That I'll give you. Um and but, and yeah. and
0: even then yes morgan freeman did a better job oh, yeah. yeah yeah but i mean okay it's morgan so,
1: freeman so like obviously yeah so nebraskan uh robin Hood. yeah yeah corn
0: husker um... <laughs>
1: corn husker robin Hood. robin the corn husker um so <laughs> god damn it um so so at no point, I mean, we see his backside once because it's Kevin Costner and he's famous for showing his butt. Um, I that's, just thought that
0: was a stunt butt. Didn't didn't we all find out that it was a stunt butt?
1: Might have been, but like okay. he and Mel Gibson were like tied cheek. Oh yeah, as for it were. like. Yeah. For, yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, for late eighties ass. For, yeah, for the ladies.
0: <laughs> like, yeah, speaking of female gaze, yes, right.
1: Um, yeah. so, okay. So he's in there, uh, Mary Elizabeth Mastriano. Did I say her name right?
0: Master Antonio.
1: God damn it. You it were would close. Have been the first. You were close. Yeah. So anyway, she, she's, uh, again, with the curly hair. Yeah. It's interesting. We're starting to see his herd, Dina Meyer to, yeah. um, but anyway, so, that was so a, that was a thing. There's no macho with him though. There's no, I no. bested you with my strength. It's I outthought no. you at every step. He's out thinking people. So that's that one. And the only person who's strong in that is not Cut. He's little John. Mm -hmm. He's not he's not strong. Him and um Father Friar Tuck. Friar Tuck. They both are the only two who do any like physical like Mm heart damage, like where they're the bludgeoners. Yeah. And neither of them is cut in any way. They're both like
0: oh bucky. no, they're big, yeah. Big heavy fellas. Yeah. Big heavy dudes. Yeah, heavy set. And and I will forever love uh, Friar Tuck in that movie. Oh god, he does such a good <laughs> <I> just, <'cause... laughs>
1: do you did you recognize him as soon as you saw him as the guy who is in Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. God damn, I loved him. Yeah. Was, um yeah.
0: and and it, I, I thought it was I thought it was really funny when when I saw the movie in 91. Mm-hmm. you know, at the age, at, at 16, when I saw it, it only got better when I got older, but the line, now this here is grain. It's right, which any idiot can turn into bread, <laughs> but for which the good Lord had a much higher purpose intended. <laughs> Let me tell you all about the miracle. Of beer. Oh yeah. Like and as and as a sixteen year old, it was like, oh my god, the priest is a drunk. That's hysterical. Mm-hmm. As a as as an adult who is now a beer snob, I'm like, yes, that's <laughs> that's, that's yes. Yeah. Reach. Hallelujah. You know. But yeah. Um, so
1: okay. So that's that's Robin Hood for first yeah. night. Do you think that if Mel Gibson had actually not done Braveheart and instead had done First Night? Because he was tapped for first night, yeah, and then he fucked off to do Braveheart, which again, yeah. period piece. Yeah, um, if he had done that, do you think there would have been more macho ness, or would it have still been? Uh, I think.
0: I guess here's it's... the thing: I don't yeah. think I don't think the script would have been very right. much different. But I think the choices Gibson would have made as an actor would have been very different.
1: Yeah, and, but you're right. I, I bet you're right because if you look at the script, it's it's about betrayal, loyalty, and mm-hmm. romance. It's not. Yeah, like it's and, leaning on those. None of those yeah. are macho values.
0: Yeah, it's it's again leaning leaning on on the female gaze, and mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a romance movie, really, mm-hmm. is what it is, and I think. I think given that it's a romance movie, I think I think Gear was actually probably a better fit for it. I agree. Gonna editorialize there. Oh. Um but yeah, I, I think I think there would have been the, the character of Lancelot would have wound up uh coming across with more uh bravado. Hmm. Okay for lack of a better word, because I I don't think Mel Gibson would have, Mel Gibson would not have made the same choice as gear did. And, and Mel Gibson has that level of, he carries himself with that level of cockiness and, and, you know,
1: that, that very whereas gears a little more like he he's depending more on the other actors in, in their relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I get you there. So, yeah. Okay. So definitely not ma- not yeah. hypermasculine. Okay. No. Um, no, I, no, I, I don't think dressed. that could have
0: happened in that film. And everybody, yeah.
1: Yeah. You okay. know,
0: cuz cuz as much as Richard Gere is, you know, there for the for the female gaze, I think still Gibson would have been in that case.
1: Right. Well, so, and again, yeah. the female gaze doesn't lead to the nudity um <laughs> nearly as much. <laughs> to the
0: same, yeah, not not to the same, not to the same extent because yeah. To a significant extent,, um, and I wish I could point to specific studies about mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. because I don't remember the details beyond the the practical upshot of them, but there have been multiple psychological, psychosexual studies done that that essentially show that. Generally speaking, and again, we're speaking in, in generalities because, you know, every every one of us monkeys is different. Sure. But speaking in generalities, um, male-identifying people
1: mm-hmm.
0: tend to be more visually aroused. Yes. And female-identifying people tend to be more orally, like AU, oral. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and tend to uh, work more with other senses. Yeah, that's and so I mean, you know... can look
1: you can look at how movies aimed at men are made and they're about spectacle. They're about um, that kind of thing. When when people complain that movies are too feminized, it's because there's too much fucking dialogue or there's too much relationships yep. or. Whatever. So yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Okay. Yeah. So that's first night. We already talked about Dragonheart. Um, you talked about Beowulf. Um, Rona Mitra's in that. I want to say, yeah. and yeah, I and think, that's yeah, because I always confused her with Sandra Bullock. Okay, um, yeah, I can kind of see that. Yeah, and then
0: yeah, it's, and it's I mean it's it's basically it's it's, another it's an attempt failure, at a retelling of Beowulf, right? And like. As somebody who is an early English literature nerd, mm-hmm. like I'm gonna sit down and watch it just because it's Beowulf. Right. But it it's um and again, uh Christopher Lambert does not like in in my opinion, uh, a, a retelling of Beowulf is a place for no no, let's go with a cartoonist masculinity because yeah. It's Beowulf, and and that's that's what we're talking about. Like, yeah. like it is, it is a saga, and the stuff that happens. I mean, even before the the encounter with Grendel and Hailo, you know, the the stuff they talk about as part of uh, Beowulf's you know legendary uh, uh, accomplishments before getting there mm-hmm. is enough that it's like this. This is a cartoon. Like this, right. this this is the place to have Beowulf. You know, throw off his mail shirt and dive into the ocean. Oh yeah! You know, in in all of his Sword hand. you know,
1: yeah,
0: proto Scandinavian muscled glory. Like here we go. And and those those weren't the choices they made because that's not the kind of, uh, uh leading man that that Christopher Lambert is. No, he's you know, not. and and he's... I
1: personally can't stand Christopher Lambert. I thought <laughs> I got to tell you, I thought the Highlander movie sucked. Um, okay. you shouldn't have a guy fighting with a samurai sword if he doesn't know how to use one. You also shouldn't have a guy fighting with a samurai sword with a a long beige trench coat. Um
0: Well, it was all about the aesthetic. Uh, I mean, the movie, the movie so... was all about the aesthetic. Like, you're not wrong. I mean, understand yeah. as a sword nerd, um that that movie was like kind of a gateway drug to becoming a sword nerd or or okay. or to leveling up as a sword nerd just because oh my god rule of cool
1: right right right
0: now that i know something about everything i'd be like okay they're all idiots yeah, yeah. like all of them they're all morons because in a modern setting no that's not what you're going to do uh what you're going to do is you're you're going to you're going to carry a blade about 24 inches long you're going to be carrying a modernized gladius basically right right you know i need something with enough cutting authority that i can finish the job but before that i also wanted to have a good strong point because the way i'm actually going to incapacitate my opponent isn't taking his head off i'm going to stab the fuck out of him first
1: right. yeah gut shot gut
0: then shot. i'm going to finish yeah. it off like yeah you know but like anyway you. but you know rule of cool so so you know yeah
1: I will say, uh, yeah. you know, the upside of of Highlander, even though we're not talking about Highlander, the upside no. of yeah. of that first one was it did start with the Freebirds uh, fighting against some jobbers, um, which was interesting because I believe that was the only time they were in the WWWF, unless NWA okay. was running it at a different spot at the time. Okay. Um. But yeah, cool. it was it was yeah. kind of interesting. Um. And you even see Michael P.S. Hayes. P.S. stands for purely sexy, uh, doing yeah. a little bit of the hip wiggle uh, and then the then nice. the hand waggle. Uh, but but okay, so Christopher Lambert is in Beowulf. It flops.
0: Oh, yeah. pretty hard. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: And Creators. then you have yeah. then you have Highlander: Endgame the following year. Yeah. I think I want to say in year two thousand or
0: nineteen ninety nine. One of those two. Yeah.
1: Right. Um and. The reason I bring that up is because it is a fantasy one, but it's it's pulling on what USA Network was doing with fantasy, and they casted mm-hmm. Adrian Paul as the highlighter, yeah. and that series went for a good seven years. And I want to say it started in like '96 or something.
0: Mm-hmm. And but I love went... every goddamn minute of it.
1: Yeah, but Adrian, I Paul... am I am the hugest fan of that show. Like... Adrian Paul is a dancer. Yeah. Again, not your hyper-masculine. It's more of a Perseus no. build. It's more of a, yeah. again, sexy for the ladies. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, I mean, he's got
0: shoulders like a barn door. Yeah. But he's you know, but like but, he's, he, but he's lithe. Yeah, he yes. moves.
1: And he yeah. keeps taking on. That's the other thing about that that particular thing is he kept taking on guys that were bigger than him. Mm-hmm. It was very often David and Goliath kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, and so it was a way of passing the torch. From old man Lambert to Adrian Paul. Yeah. And so that one, the masculinity was there, but it was actually some of the healthiest masculinity that we see. Oh, my God. Yeah. They're helping each some of the, other. Some of they, the story. Yeah. They love each other and they're allies. Yeah. And, you know, uh, 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 what's his McCloud sacrifices himself for, I guess, McCloud again yeah um, but he sacrifices him and and there's that really sad moment, you know when he realizes what he's done, you know and shit like mm. that and it's but the movie itself is is very it keeps very true to the TV show mm-hmm. and then they did nothing with it, um, which is fine, which is yeah. totally fine, but yeah. like that was clearly trying to cash in on that sweet sweet u s a network money,
0: oh yeah. yeah, clearly, yeah, very much,
1: okay, so so
0: so that's that's. The '90s, right? That's yep. that's what those everything we just talked about were the most notable examples, right? And and we've mentioned you know a total of like five films, um, uh, right. over the course of an entire decade, right? Whereas, you know, '81 to '83, there were triple we that, ten, yeah, triple yeah. that number. And and again, the other thing was '81 to '83, mm-hmm. everybody got their shirt off. Right, and they were and they were muscularized. Although I I still can't get over uh, Lee Majors in in the Sword and the Sorcerer. Like that's not the guy I would have thought would spend more than half the movie oiled up with his shirt off. But there you go. Right, Um, you know. But but again, they were all playing on those tropes of you know hyper masculinized Mm. everything. Well, then in two thousand one. Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, made eight hundred ninety-seven million dollars.
1: Okay, I'm off of a call, production
0: cost of ninety-three.
1: I'm I'm gonna. Well, that's that's a lot of fucking money to sink into it. But <laughs> at <the same> time, <laughs> yeah, they, I know. They did a good job. Yeah. I'm gonna call foul here, um, because yeah. there's one fantasy movie you failed to mention. Okay. Between Highlander Endgame, which I had to bring up, okay. and Lord of the Rings. Okay. Dungeons and Dragons.
0: Oh no, we don't speak of that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no. I yes they yes they made one. Yes. And and it went nowhere. <laughs> like, True. I I understand I am It is a I fantasy am, movie. It yeah. Uh but but the idea I'm trying to get, get around here is is you know the the level of impact uh that they showed in the Zitgeist and to a certain extent the D D movie kind of kind of proves my point in that they made one and it did
1: nothing. <laughs> okay, fair.
0: Z goggles, say do nothing. I mean, like okay. no, it was okay. it was a horrendous flop because oh, yes, it, it was
1: bad. Yeah. Bad yeah. Well that was trying to cash um, in on the three oh start. Yeah. Like I mean it, that it, was
0: Yeah. And and the thing is number one, the, the script just sucked.
1: hmm
0: Number one. Um for for a whole variety of reasons that like probably deserves its own episode later on.
1: Uh, you know what? Um not a bad idea. <laughs> but
0: but um with three oh 3o was something that D&D nerds were really really excited about at the time. Right. But the rest of the culture didn't yet know like even what Dungeons and Dragons was yet to the extent that we do now. Like we we are we are now living in a world where um Critical Role and and a whole a whole slew of right other other media have introduced mainstream culture to the idea of Dungeons and Dragons being like a, a a thing right People knew about Dungeons and Dragons of course when when that movie came out, but it had not reached the level of uh awareness in the general population right for that to ever be, well for that for that movie to get the kind of funding that would have potentially made the effects better mm-hmm. and for that movie to get the kind of funding that would have gotten them a script doctor who could have looked at it and gone okay well do there you know are why? some flaws the first the first two acts of this film are flawed but okay the denouement of this film is batshit crazy and and it's ass it's 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 like it's like 5 tons of whale shit. <laughs> no.
1: Squeezed into a 4-ton bag.
0: Like yeah, yeah squeezed. Yeah. Like it's not even organized whale shit. Like no. It's just it's awful. No. We need to we need to cut out the last 20 minutes of this movie and completely rewrite it because oh my god that's bad, right? So
1: do you know the <laughs> director of this, so I I've done a bit of a dive on this movie a few times because of how bad it is. Do you know no the director of this movie? It was his first film ever that he directed. Poor man. And the thing was, he had gotten the the rights from TSR back when TSR existed, and he'd held on to them for like ten years, or he'd been shopping it around for ten years. Okay. And and his plan was, and 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 he was like. I want to say he was 21 when he got them or some low ass number like that. He might have even been still been a teenager. Like, and so, he well, I mean, around. at the
0: end, TSR yeah. was desperately trying to throw, trying right. to get money from anybody. Yeah. Right.
1: And they did. And, and so, and I, I wish I remembered the number that he paid for it, but anyway, he, he shops it around looking for a way to raise the funds, but he'd only ever intended to be the publisher. No, what's the word? Producer. Of it, mm. um, and uh, he he wanted to bring in Coppola for it.
0: Okay, that's ambitious.
1: Uh, yeah, um, and then I want to say somebody from TSR, be- and I don't know how rights work exactly. Um, mm. and so somebody from TSR still had a hand on it, and they were like, "No, you're the only one who's going to do it because we're not going to pay other people for it." Which sounds <laughs> yeah. very, very that, that, very TSR.
0: That well, what that that doesn't sound like TSR. That sounds like somebody in the Gygax estate.
1: It really does. I I don't think it because I would have remembered if it was a Gygax, But okay, it, well, it but it
0: it's somebody in that in that.
1: Pack. Yeah. But um, it's uh, the the other thing that I remember was that Jeremy Irons took the movie because he was over mortgaged on his ha- no. It's even funnier. He said something to the effect of, I had just bought a castle and I had to find some way to pay for it. (laughs) Because I remember. Yeah. D&D. So castle, right. As he's over mortgage. No, he needed the money to buy a castle. Oh, (laughs) which. Yeah. Oh
0: my God. You know, there's there, there is,
1: there is actually,
0: I want to say it's money. Dear boy is the, is the trope name.
1: Yes, you've said it a number of times. Yeah, yeah,
0: you know, um, which, which I think was also, uh, uh Sir Alec Guinness's reason for doing Obi Wan Kenobi. Mm-hmm. You know, like he had he, he he even after the film became a huge success, he was he was embarrassed by it, mm-hmm. uh, very famously. But
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, yeah, that yeah, that movie so was.
0: We've we've spent more time on that movie than it deserves um
1: and yet less time than it deserves Because that deserves yes well there the is podcast. there is that yeah. yes
0: in in the way that like one needs to dissect a, yeah. a, a corpse for an autopsy <laughs> <laughs> like let's can we can we find the single cause of death he fell out a four-story window was hit by an arrow on the way down and shot accidentally <laughs> before he hit the ground what actually killed him right <laughs> That so, reminds me
1: that reminds me of my favorite. You know, remember the Darwin Awards back when yeah. email was first a thing? Yeah. Um, my favorite was the anti-Darwin award where a man was going to hang himself, but he also swallowed some poison and he was gonna shoot himself in the head. And I mean, it was a fucking bad day. And he put okay. his legs on fire um because he was gonna burn himself too. Okay. And wow. He jumps. And because He's jumping off of a cliff near the ocean. He uh he gets yoinked by the rope earlier than he thought. So he pulls the trigger, shoots the rope, breaks the rope, falls into the ocean, which of course extinguishes puts the fire, his legs out. And the, the impact causes him to vomit up the uh the poison. He gets picked up by a fisherman and he dies three days later because it was so cold. Yeah. So wow. Yeah, that's that's called rolling a one and failing that's, forward.
0: Yeah, pretty that's, much. Damn. Okay. All right. So, so anyway,
1: on to movies that you've actually talked about. Yeah, your, that, that I've actually I've actually done
0: <laughs> done meaningful research on. Yeah. So, in two thousand one, again, Fellowship of the Ring opens and it made eight hundred ninety seven million dollars off of a production cost of ninety three.
1: That's a good return on investment. It's
0: it's it's an amazing return on investment yeah. uh the two towers in return of the king followed in 0203 and, and similarly made huge big money okay
1: um now, the trick with those yeah. star wars was made and then it made enough money that he's like okay now i'll go back and make the other true um
0: <laughs> <laughs> i love how george lucas just equals kermit Somehow, (laughs) in our minds, like because you immediately you use that voice, I immediately I pictured it coming out of George Lucas's mouth. I don't. Okay. Anyway,
1: but (laughs) it's funny because I was imitating George Lucas earlier today, and my son was like, "Why is Kermit talking?" (laughs) Well, yeah,
0: it's Um, entirely possible that Jim Henson based Kermit's voice off of Lucas. I kind of want to look that. Jim
1: Henson has the same voice. Yeah, well, it's true. Like, it, apparently being bearded in the 70s means you ended means up talking You kind, like of, this, kind of wind up talking a little there's bit. Like...
0: You wind up talking out of the top of your throat an awful lot.
1: Right. I, I, I'm i genuinely curious if there's, like, certain vocal affects. Like, you know, we saw in the last five years or so, vocal fry became a big thing. Oh, yeah, it became, um, yeah. And, you know, in the 1990s, laughing, like, was kind yeah. of a big thing in the hip-hop yeah. community. But anyway. Yeah, anyway. So, so George Lucas George Lucas made the first one, then was yeah. able to bankroll the second two. Wasn't this one always going to be the trilogy? yes Did they film they, them they filmed
0: them they filmed all at once part of okay. part of the agreement that the cast signed on for was, no, no, we're filming all three of them. You're going to be in New Zealand for two years or however long it was that they were filming. and so it was it was a big commitment for everybody involved. so yeah, it started out, and that was that was actually part of the reason prior to the film like starting to be marketed in the Lord of the Rings fan community, everybody was really, really, really excited Mm -hmm. about the making of the film because, because, you know, from the very beginning it was, no, they're doing all three films
1: and they're doing it like there felt like they're doing it right. Yes. It really did feel like a, yes, Oh, this one's gonna get it right. Yeah, I, I had a therapist whose monitor in the background had the Lord of the Rings as a uh, screensaver mm-hmm. back in nineteen ninety nine. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Oh yeah, it was a big deal.
0: Yeah, so people people within the fan community were hyped for this, mm-hmm. um, and I was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, but then the movie opened. The movie started being marketed, and then the movie opened. And it turned into this, this thing within the popular imagination. It, mm-hmm. it took off within broader culture. Um, I think in very important ways, the Lord of the Rings trilogy mainstreamed nerd culture mm-hmm. or accelerated the mainstreaming of nerd culture. Okay. You okay. know, uh, because being a fan of Lord of the Rings. Made sense. Made sense. Yeah. Like you could be a fan of Lord of the Rings and be on the basketball team, right? right. Like you right. know, it wasn't it wasn't just this niche. Maybe thing the baseball for... team. Okay,
1: baseball team still got weirdos on it. Like okay, I I get you. I know what you're yeah. talking about. Um, yeah, but but it still is because I'm thinking about Clerks too, where they okay. are. You know, where he's making fun of the Lord of the Rings fans. Okay. Right. And so there is still a mm, this is it's a hot topic now. Yeah. But 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 the people the people who are actively making
0: fun of Lord of the Rings fans are mostly edge lords who most everybody else recognizes as being assholes.
1: I don't know if anybody recognized them as being assholes back then, though.
0: All right. Not at that time. Okay, All right.
1: Yeah. So but but it is still giant steps forward. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying track team, baseball team. Yes. Okay. Yeah.
0: Football team, maybe not yet.
1: Yeah, a few, probably a
0: few, a few, yeah. but yeah. yeah. So now, obviously, I love these movies unabashedly with my whole heart for sure. for like a whole host of reasons. Like we've had a whole episode of me getting drunk and ranting about this. Yes, but for the purposes of this episode, of course, I want to focus mostly on issues of a masculine identity. Okay. Mm-hmm. Also, for the sake of brevity and consistency. I'm going to try really hard to stick to the movies okay. without any mention of the books that isn't unavoidable. Okay. Okay. Fair. Okay. Fair. Eru Iluvatar, give me strength because that's going to be hard. But here we go. All right. First of all, yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. So I just want to make sure, though, that, like, no. we're talking about masculinity. Yeah and you've got a movie that is almost entirely males. Yes, and this is really the first time that you see the gloriousness of beards. Like you have a dwarf <laughs> with a glorious beard, you have Oh hell you, yeah. and it's funny you you like the shorter they get the 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 more glorious the beard. And yeah. then and then you've got wizards with these amazing beards. And so like you've right. got this like signs of old masculinity. And yeah. fuck even the trees had beard. There's one called yeah, tree beard. Literally um, tree beard. Yeah. yeah. So uh does is it that the masculinity goes from the pecs to the chin?
0: You know, I hadn't thought of that. Okay. Um I, I think I think there's a layer of analysis there that, that might bear, bear, bear fruit. Okay. Uh, speaking of tree beard, but sure. um, that's that's not <laughs> that's not where I was going. Okay. Well, then we'll try it. your way. We'll um, try your way. So okay. All right. <laughs> all right. So uh, the the first thing I wanted to note, um, and maybe it's because of the beards, but none of the protagonists ever get shirtless. It's a good point. Never. None of them. You're not right. Not a one. You're right. Um. Wait. Three do, whole movies. Do even three the orcs? whole movies. The orcs do. Do they really? Yeah, I'm going to get to that in a minute. Okay, okay. Going to get it. to that. Yeah, that's that because. Do you remember? So, uh, because, and actually, it's right here in my notes. I thought it was going to take longer, but second and relatedly, the only heavily muscled beefcakes we see are Uruk Hmm, That's right. Uh, Lurts in the first movie is a terrifying wall of fangy roid rage. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, he's this, he's this, like holy shit it, right like he doesn't have a neck like just yeah, all the got, muscles
1: yeah traps up to bare his arms bare crest. arms yeah yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah i
0: like that yeah traps all... yeah uh pretty damn close yeah. um you he's know the one and, with the and...
1: the, uh, the face palm right yeah 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 yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and 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 you know uh, Hulk Hogan talks about his however many inch pythons, twenty four inch pythons, twenty four inch pythons. Uh, Lortz has got to have thirty sixes. I mean, just okay. these huge it's goddamn enormous. arms, right? Yeah. Um, and then during the siege of Helm's Deep, mm-hmm. Saruman's forces include these nigh unkillable berserker Urukai, who are completely shirtless,
1: They're and protests, they act as though.
0: suicide bombers.
1: They're grotesque. Like they don't count, do they? Well, okay. Here's the thing. Okay,
0: let's let's talk about the rest of masculinity as presented, and then talk about okay what statements were kind of subconsciously being seen made.
1: All right, all right,
0: okay. Uh, the orcs, uh, orcs and goblins in Lord of the Rings, all embody the dark side of masculinity. They're reflexively aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're cruel. Um, for the sake of cruelty and there's, there's always because of, because of the way Tolkien and, Mm -hmm. uh, Jackson, because he was, he was sticking to Tolkien's take on things, um, you know, because of the way evil works in Tolkien's universe, there is always a background level of desperate insecurity and fear involved. Anytime anytime you see the orcs interacting with each other, anytime there is any level of characterization uh-huh. with the orcs, there is always this deep gnawing fear and insecurity. That's true. And everything everything is is hyper hierarchical. And yeah. that hierarchy is always based on terrorism and and physical force. Yeah,
1: right? it, like within the ranks. Like I was going to say it's like what uh people imagine alpha is, like imagine yeah. alpha wolfing is, even though we yeah. know that that's bullshit. But yeah. like if you took that fake template and put it on the Uruk-hai, that's what you would have. It's
0: yes, yeah. precisely. Yeah. Now, by contrast, the hobbits are genial, joyful, peaceful boys. Basically, there's there's not a hard edge or a sharp corner on any of them.
1: To say they all have fairly either delicate or rounded features. Yeah, like
0: throughout the. Yeah, yeah, they're all they're all softies.
1: Yeah, and they're um, softies it, in different ways. I would point out. Yeah, like you know, Mary. I I never I. Which one is the guy who who was in Lost? get Dominic, yeah. Dominic Monaghan is that Mary or Pippin? That's Mary. Okay. Okay. So Pippin has the girliest face. Really does. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you're um, not wrong.
1: and and Sam has the chubbiest, cutest face. Yeah, and and Pippin—that's Dominic Monaghan. No, Mary is Dominic Monaghan. God, yeah, I will never get it. You know why? Because Pippin ain't easy. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> but anyway, oh, damn it. <laughs> but he has like the the like the the honestly, he has the Wally. Wally's friend uh, Eddie Haskell kind of face. He has like the the troublemaker boyish face, and then yeah. you you get Elijah Wood who has like the biggest goddamn eyes, which Phantom Oh yeah, like
0: like a fucking alien.
1: Yeah, yeah, even though like he actually like it looks like he'd been working out because his neck thickened up, um, mm-hmm. but like he has like really big eyes, like each one of them, in a different way is. Is like running away from mask the the hyper masculine.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, very much. You know. Very much.
1: Like, but and and I don't know if that was casted on purpose that way, or you just picked your best four and they had the best chemistry. But it is interesting how each one of them is a repudiation of nineteen eighties masculinity in a different Mm -hmm. vein. So
0: yeah. Um so so yeah, they're they're all they're all all of these, you know, soft kind mm-hmm. of kind of figures. Yeah. Throughout the series they're terrified. Like they the spend time. an awful lot of time scared out of their goddamn minds because it's totally reasonable that they are. Um even in their respective moments of badassery. Yeah. Their badassery is rooted in the fact that they're standing up when they when when they can tell that they want to run away and yep. their fear is shown openly and is not shown as being shameful. You're right. Right. Yeah. Their, their fear is the thing that defines their courage. They are, they are courageous because they're scared and they are, and they are doing it anyway. Right.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
0: In, in every even one of their respective
1: fail. cases, even if they yeah. fail and they, even each one of them fails, except for Sam, each one of them fails yeah. pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yep. Um, They weep openly at loss, and they express joy and affection effusively at emotional high points.
1: Yep. Okay. Jumping on the bed like little boys.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And within the context of the films, none of this is ever questioned or ridiculed as shown as less than compared to any of the other members of the Fellowship who are all veteran warriors in the fight against Sauron
1: in fact, the only people who do spurn them Mm -hmm. aren't spurning them directly. And, because I'm thinking it's Boromir who spurns them at one point. And it's almost as though that's a symbol, or that's a symptom of him being poisoned by the proximity to the ring, or, like, him only having the martial focus, Mm -hmm. and he's immediately talked out of it, or talked down in a lot of ways, or, or, or just like I used the word repudiated already, but like in many ways, he's like he is the the straw man uh, for for showing how kind and chill. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, what's his? Aragorn name? is. Aragorn is. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, the only time you do see them showing yeah, he's, he's, he winds of, up Yeah.
0: Uh, in, in a he very much gets gets used as a foil for Aragorn.
1: Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, the only time you do see anybody being negative toward uh, the Hobbits for being the Hobbits is at that moment mm-hmm. that I can think of. And yeah, that's it. That's yeah. literally it. Like, Yeah. And it's shut and down. They shut that shit right down. So, yeah. yeah.
0: And so uh, Gandalf mm-hmm. is benevolent and knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. He's also fallible. I have no memory of this place. Oh, yeah. He spends way too much time overthinking the riddle to get into Moria. And the one who figures it out is one of the naive little hobbits. <laughs> it's like, what's the Elvish word for friend? Right. Fuck me. Right. Right. You know, and, he, and, he, and he has speak that moment friend of, and enter. Yeah. friend and enter. Well, God damn it. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> oh. All right. Yeah, that works leave too. It, leave it to the leave it to the summer children to figure that one out. Good job, you know. <laughs> um, and he's capable of irascibility and tetchy impatience. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh yeah, fool of it. Even even you know, straight up getting pissed off. You know, fool of a toque, You right. know. Um, and and despite being literally an angel in the lore, he still has the body of an old man. Yep, and usually shows that age. Yeah, Like there are, there are the moments where it's like, all right, no, I got to bust out the, the inner Istari and, and, you know, whip some ass. But most of the time, like, okay, no, I got, I'm sorry. I got to sit the fuck down. Right. Like, you know, I can, it's, it is, it is part of the fact that I am an angel inside of this old man's body that I can keep up with all of you. But now I'm sorry. I got to sit down and smoke a pipe. Like, right, I'm done. Right. Thank you.
1: You know, It reminds me of Jordan uh when he was on the wizards he's clearly well past his prime yeah but he didn't let that hit stop him from schooling and owning anybody who stepped up to him oh yeah it just, it just meant that he had to ice his knees for hours <laughs> afterwards
0: yeah precisely like it's okay, that kind of shit this this is really gonna hurt later but right now i have to teach you some respect right like you know. yeah it's that's a that's that's an analogy i never would have thought of but that's brilliant yeah, yeah. Um, now, after dying and being reborn, mm-hmm. both of these factors subside a little bit. He's a bit more angelic and a bit less limited by his mortal form. True. Kind of like you got a factory refurbishing. Uh, but but they are still there. Like you you still, <laughs> you know, it's, it's still present. And and this is really important. This is so critically fucking important. He has been working through indirect means
2: mm-hmm.
0: for literal millennia to fight against Sauron. He has not ever walked straight up to the black gate of Barad-dur and said, all right, come on, bitch. Right. Catch these hands. Right. You know, none of that. He's been working indirectly to strengthen others to be the ones to defeat the darkness. He's been working to foster alliance and cooperation. This is Mm -hmm. not machismo, right?
1: Right. Right. Yeah. This is this is John Adams. Yes. Type shit. This is totally yeah. John Adams type shit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So now, um, the the biggest the the hardest, steeliest eyed, coldest killer in the entire group. This this is this is I'm I'm moving on to the next character. I should okay. point out moving on to the next character I'm gonna okay. talk about in the fellowship. Coldest motherfucker. Just, just absolutely, possibly the biggest killer badass in in the fellowship
1: yeah. is Legolas. Yes, he's
0: a steely-eyed orc slayer. Yes. Right. Yeah. Badass ranger rogue ar- archetype. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Stoniest guy. Yep. Uh, cannot overstate his level of badassness, and he's also the most androgynous member of the fucking group.
1: Yeah, he is the prettiest.
0: He he's literally too goddamn
1: pretty. Yeah, I would spoon him. Yes, yeah. yeah,
0: like I'd have a hard time not like right, yeah. Um, interestingly, I I worked a stint uh, for Games Workshop,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, around the time that the trilogy was coming out in theaters, and Games Workshop got the license to do the tabletop skirmish game for the Lord of the Rings. Mm. Okay, so we were doing a miniatures game, and they are still doing a miniatures game that has evolved since then. It's now a bigger kind of thing. Uh, as in more models on the table bigger. Um, but we were, we were selling the Lord of the Rings tabletop war game and Mm -hmm. we had, we had, uh, two different standees at at the front of the store while I was working there. Um, Mm -hmm. for the first year it was Legolas. Uh, for the second year it was Carl Urban's character. And I feel terrible that I don't remember, but, but the blonde writer of Rohan guy.
1: Oh, right.
0: We got we got so many teenage girls and early twenty something women mm-hmm. who came into the shop because of that standee asking about if they could just buy a model of the pretty elf guy.
1: Oh yeah, Orlando Bloom. Like I mean, his career blew up for that. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I mean,
0: he has he has the cheekbones of a godling. Like there's yes. no.
1: But like even, even now, not God, 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 not God, yeah, Link. you're absolutely right.
0: And, and, you know, even now, um, 20 years later, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you look at him now and it's like, okay, yeah, he's, he's aged some, he's got some gray hair. He's, you know, I think very consciously grown some facial hair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, but he like learned, you still
1: learn from the, uh, the pirates of the Caribbean movies, Mm-hmm. Which, which also like we're around that time, and but the, you know what, those were period pieces. You're right. Never mind. Yeah, Yep. Okay. Well,
0: okay, they're period pieces, but you have literally the the trident of of uh, Poseidon, and you know, well, yeah, you got David Jones, Jones and shit. And but all all the I still don't think that, that that's
1: particularly fantasy.
0: It's well, here's the deal. It yeah. is. It is fantasy, but it's a very okay. particular kind of fantasy that isn't okay. the same archetype. Okay. So that's my that's my dodge for not bringing him up.
1: Sure,
0: sure. Um. So, but yeah, he he's just so goddamn pretty, right? Mm-hmm. So physically, mm-hmm. he's not. He, I'm sure if Orlando Bloom were to take off his shirt during the time that they were filming these movies, he would have been very fit. Mm-hmm. Um. You don't you don't fire a bow even you know kind of faking it for effects the way he was you, you don't do that that much without developing some musculature you know you don't do that much hiking without being in you know some level of being in shape right but he's he was never buff he's right? yeah
1: I was gonna say he's still Perseus fit he's not yeah. Hercules fit yeah yeah um and Aragorn so is is Jason fit he's not yeah. Hercules fit like yes. you don't have Hercules fit you have Perseus fit yeah. So
0: yeah. And so in the story, he learns to make friends with Gimli, who's traditionally an enemy of his people. Mm-hmm. He is visibly moved by sights of beauty. Yep. Um, and and this is this is really important. He consistently defers to and sticks up for Aragorn. Hmm. He unconditionally like he's he's the one member of the you know, badass veteran warrior cadre within the fellowship. He's the one member of that group that is always 100% like, nope, I'm sorry, you don't understand. He's the heir. We're going to do what the fuck he says. Like, he is the legitimate king. And also, he's he's my bro. Like, right. we, we go back. This is my dude. I'm back in his play. Like, right, period, right. full stop. He's the leader. He he is... um there's uh oh darn it the, he's the lancer of the group in in many ways okay he's the he's the guy who potentially could be the leader if the leader wasn't the leader
1: okay okay
0: um and and so you know but he but in his case frequently the lancer is also a character who could kind of be a rival of the leader but legolas is like no no that's the dude mm-hmm like if he asks me for my opinion, I'm going to tell him what I think we ought to do, but he's the one making the decision. He's got this. He's got this. Yeah. Which again is not the eighties action hero archetype. Right. Like at all. It's not, it's not the eighties fantasy right. action. Yeah. Hero. It's not Conan, the fucking barbarian. It's right. no, no, you're the, he's the leader. I'm doing what he says. Sure. You know,
1: it's about loyalty. It's not about, uh, yeah. at my, my macho individuality. Yes. Yeah. The
0: one time he notably disagrees with Aragorn is right before the Siege of Helm's Deep, mm-hmm. where he's telling him, we can't afford to lose you. You're too right. important to be dying here. We need to leave. And Aragorn says, no, no, these are my people. Right. And then switches from Elvish to <laughs> to Comet in an unfortunate moment because of emotionalness and says, mm-hmm. you know, then I will die with them. And everybody's like, I'm sorry, what?
1: What, we're gonna. I'm sorry. What? Uh, um. Yeah. I, I was here because I was told to muster for a picnic. Um, yeah. <laughs> we're having guests. What? Yeah. Uh, wait, we brought what? bridge mix. What? Yeah. Are you talking? <laughs> what about? are you talking about? Yeah. Um. All right. Okay. So so. Yeah, I guess I I'm just I'm just trying to think of any time where he didn't do anything like he never even really antagonized Gimli. Other than playfully. Yeah. Uh, except you know, uh throwing no, barbs. No. He yeah, he, there's the barbs, but I was I was like, oh wait, no, he but no, he was sticking up for Gimli. He says and such yeah. and such would happen before your blade fell or something. Yeah. Oh, that's yep. when he talks to um Carl Urban's character, right? Yeah. Um yeah. uh Boromir's brother,
0: Boromir's no. cousin. No, he's no I, uh, I want to say Dernhelm. i f- God, I feel like a bad Tolkien fan. No, um Carl Urban's character is one of the writers of Rohan. He's the nephew of the king who ends up becoming the king after Theoden dies. Okay. And yeah, and he A-O. they they it's, it's not a Theo name. Okay. I gotta I'll have to look it up. But anyway, so it's interesting that you then mention Gimli because that's the next one I'm gonna talk about. Gomer Pyle.
1: No. Okay. Um I would just love for for Carl Urban to show up with the Riders yeah. are,
0: surprise, surprise 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 surprise. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, um
1: okay. So Gimli, go back to Gimli.
0: Aelmar. Character's is Carl's are big character is, Curls are, character
1: is Oh, it was close. I said Ael. So it's, but...
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um so so Gimli of the of the fellowship, Gimli is the one who comes I think closest to being Traditionally macho, he is a tough yes. guy. Yes, he is a carnivore, a beer drinker. Um, he's hot headed, aggressive. Yep, yes, magnificent. I'm, I wish I could get anywhere near matching that beard. Um, he's hot headed, mm-hmm. he's consistently aggressive, he's eager for a fight. Yeah, uh, John Reese Davies uh, described uh, one of the traits as being a certain bloody mindedness. Yeah, um, yeah. He fights with an axe. Yep. Um. And so, I mean, they're, they're they're he's he's the most visibly heavily armored of all of them. He's the one who's goes, always wearing a helmet. Which goes right?
1: against the uh the thing though, because Macho is bare chested and all this, and he is the the most covered up character in the whole fucking thing. Oh yeah. Like all you see is eyes and a little bit of cheeks, and then it's just okay. it's it's all beard. And it's yep. all armor, like the whole yeah. time. Yeah, yeah.
0: He's just an angry fucking beard. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. He's phys-ic. he's just a beard of rage, elongated, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Like, that's a really good. That's a great comparison. Um, and so he is he is this this you know macho tough guy character. Sure, but he plays a comic role very frequently.
1: Yeah, his macho ness is never the goal. It never solves anything. No. Um no. the only time that like his toughness and macho ness really comes in is where he, he gets himself thrown. Uh that's exactly
0: and, where it was going to. His machismo yeah. makes it the punchline. Don't tell the elf. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, and even as macho as he is, yeah, he's still intensely protective of the hobbits. Yes. You know, there's there's that that wonderful it's 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 a he's wonderful looking out
1: the side of his eye at them. And smile. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well
0: one and 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 the the other thing I was thinking of was in the first movie in mm-hmm. uh Moria
2: mm-hmm.
0: when they hear the goblins coming. Uh there's this there's this wonderful there's that wonderful shot
2: mm-hmm.
0: of of the whole the whole fellowship as the as the camera comes back as the right. as the goblins are pounding down the door and he and Legolas, and Aragorn, and Boromir all move to protect the Hobbits.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay.
0: And, and, obviously they're moving to protect Frodo because he's the ring bearer, but there's this instinctive uh, protectiveness. Right. And, and Gimli is, is one of, one of the figures who, at other times we see him being actively protective of the Hobbits. Right. And also, like Legolas, he's a team player. Yes. He's not, he is not quite as rigorously loyal to Aragorn as an individual, but he is very much a team player.
1: He, he's loyal he, to the fellowship.
0: He's loyal to the fellowship. And yep. he, like anybody who actually studies armed combat, Mm-hmm. Um, he knows that the guy who runs off on his own is the guy who gets killed ignominiously and gets made fun of after he's dead, right? Yep. You know, <laughs> like they they all work as a as a team in in the fight scenes that they get involved in. They are looking totally. out for each other. They are working to cooperate, and and it's a sign of him and Legolas becoming uh, platonic life mates. Yeah, That they are working, they are consistently working as a team together a lot over the course of the trilogy.
1: Now, I want to drill a little bit more into the teamworkness, too, um, because and the protective, because Mm -hmm. the teamwork part in the 80s, all of your movies were a team formed behind the hero. And he was always going off on his own. He was always doing his own thing. And cool that y'all are with me, but I don't really need you. Yeah. And you could tell because when there was a sequel, nobody would follow. Um, yeah. <laughs> Cuz as my dad looking said, looking at you Conan. Yeah, as my dad yeah. said, when you follow the hero, it doesn't go well for you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> mm, yeah. Not wrong. <laughs> um but uh and that is fucked up. Yeah. Um but How are You uh, doing Subotai Yeah, exactly. Um okay, so so that, but also I would point out there is a world of difference between protecting and rescuing. And in the 80s, it was always rescuing. Yes. And now it's protecting. It's keeping safe. To me, this is the difference between Batman and Cap as well. Cap is a protector. Yeah. 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 Batman is 100% a rescuer. He, he, yeah. 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 He activates once there's a transgression. Mm -hmm. Cap activates and he solves. Cap activates to prevent the transit transgression. So he's never fully off. Yeah. Yeah. He's never fully off, but he's also never fully on. Yeah. And same no. thing with Gimli here. He I mean, yes, they do need to rescue a few of the hobbitses and stuff like that. That's yeah, that's yeah. that's a thing. Yeah. But but by and large, his mission is to protect the ring bearer. Yeah. So you're you're absolutely right. Okay.
0: Yeah. All right. So now Boromir, mm-hmm. The tragic figure mm-hmm. has mm-hmm. his tragedy tied in with traditionally masculine downsides. Oh, because he he's competitive. Yeah he's yeah. deeply competitive he struggles with being a follower rather than the leader of the group right it it bugs him that Aragorn's the one in charge right um Gondor has no King Gondor needs no King there is this there is this deep level of insecurity
1: involved there mm-hmm. um his and agenda don't no tell me what to do yeah mm-hmm, yeah like oh okay there West Virginia All right Charlie.
0: man whatever uh his agenda is we have, to. this is a gift, we have to use, why not use this thing against its maker? Mm -hmm. That's a very classically macho approach. I've been handed a weapon, I'm going to use the weapon.
1: Yeah, it's take the fight to them, too. That's the other thing. Yes. Yeah. What?
0: In Two Towers, we Mm -hmm. learn how much he loved his brother and how much he values his brother far more than their father does. Mm. The scenes the scenes in the two towers between him and Faramir mm-hmm. are wonderful and heartbreaking.
1: I'm gonna have to watch this again, but okay. Because because, yeah. he,
0: because Sean Bean is like he's an amazing actor. He really is. And um he he shows, you know, uh their father when, when we see Denethor talking to Faramir, mm-hmm. Denethor is always talking to Faramir about, you know. I, I why can't you be more like your brother? Your brother is always, you know, a winner. Your brother, this that, and that, that's the that, the other thing. But when Boromir, uh, when when we see the scenes with Boromir and Faramir, mm-hmm. Boromir's interaction with Faramir is always look at what we have done, brother. Right, right. And he he does not when he when he's not busy being made insecure by Aragorn being around. Um, he he is. He's a really good leader Mm -hmm. because he's not being an arrogant prick. You know, like he he he's the shit and he knows it, but he's he's giving he gives credit to his brother. He he speaks in we kind of terms.
1: He's trying to bring people up around him.
0: Yeah, because he understands that's how you're successful as a leader. And we see him because there is there is the moment you talked about where he's kind of uh, he, he denigrates the hobbits a little bit mm-hmm. indirectly. But we also see him teaching them to fight in camp.
1: Yes. And during the first film, too. Yeah. And they they're and enjoy. they're laughing and, yeah. and
0: he's and he's and he's pointing out to him, you know, OK, that was that was good. Let's right, do that right. again. Yeah. You know, he's and he's he's not being an asshole coach. He's being
2: mm-hmm.
0: a good coach. Right. Yep. When he, when he talks about his home and his people, he lights up. Okay. He talks about the white city and you can see how much he loves his people and he loves his home.
1: Yeah. And,
0: and in the end, and this is really important, he owns his mistake and he dies worrying about the little ones. Right. And he says farewell to Aragorn with mm. honor and respect. and he yeah. he ultimately winds up getting over his insecurity in his final moments
2: mm-hmm.
0: and and so is and so has a really meaningful moment of redemption mm-hmm. when the traits that got him to the point where he needed to be redeemed were the ones I just talked about, which are the, traditional kind of dark sides mm-hmm. of masculinity, right? Right, right. Okay. That brings us to Aragorn.
1: You know, just... Okay. Do you think anybody besides Sean Bean could have done that? No. No. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I, I genuinely don't. I I think... I think... Um, I think he's
1: an undersung actor. Like, he... You know what I would love to see him do? Mm-hmm. I would love to see him play Richard Sharp. I think he could really bring a lot to that (laughs) character. It
0: really... Oh, have have I got good news for you? Oh, what's that? Uh, well, you know, despite the for fact that years. I think he was, I think he was, I think he was a really poor choice because he looks nothing like the character was described as being. Right. I'm I'm talking at my ass. No, he's fucking brilliant. Yeah. Um. And really, and like really, and yeah. Cornwell and and the author actually said, uh, no, I I I, I kind of want to go back and rewrite the first couple of books to make him blonde just right. because. <laughs> that's him like sure, sure. you know yeah <laughs> well played sir well played. thank you thank um you. you know and and i have you seen jupiter
1: rising i've not
0: okay most of here's the deal most of that movie is just it's it's bad like okay. it's 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 a kind of bad that the wachowskis are the only ones who could do which is there are so many big fucking ideas, and mm-hmm. they clearly swung for the fence. Gotcha. Like they flung the bat over right. the right. left field wall but but they whiffed. okay. Um but it's but it's amazing it's amazing to see the effort that went into that. and and Sean Bean in the scenes that Sean Bean is in, he elevates a shit movie into being remarkably watchable. Okay. Um. So, like, I, I, I kind of want to say that's that's almost the highest praise you can give an actor is like this is a this this movie stinks on ice, mm-hmm. but he makes the parts that he's in worth watching. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. But then that so... brings us to Viggo Mortensen and yes. Aragorn, the rightful king. Um, Aragorn never asserts his dominion, literally, ha- despite literally having entitlement
1: yep that's true
0: he treats literally everyone he encounters with compassion respect and humor
1: when Mm -hmm. appropriate Mm -hmm. um he leads
0: through service
1: he's almost i mean honestly and i got i'm gonna have to watch it again yeah but he's almost so good that he is apart from everyone like
0: yeah and i think that's
1: a bit of a vibe it is a little bit of a vibe
0: and i think that's a vibe that is i think that's a vibe that's borrowed from the books okay because i think that's rooted in the ideal of kingship that mm-hmm. that tolkien was working from okay fair enough fair enough so but um treats everybody with humor treats everybody with with compassion respect mm-hmm. and humor uh, he leads through service um mm-hmm. so like the first example i have is the fight at weathertop before they've even gotten to rivendell um he throws himself mm-hmm. at at the nazgûl
1: that's the one like, where frodo gets stabbed right yeah
0: yeah okay. where frodo gets stabbed he immediately right like lunges at right. at the nazgûl with a with a torch in one hand there's that great moment where he winds up you know flinging a torch and sticking it in the Towel yes. of one of the one of the Nazgul, and I mean he he literally puts himself mm-hmm. between the Nazgul and the Hobbits because yeah. because that's his job. Like, yes, I'm the heir of Isildur. Doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's I gotta not get what these guys. For.
0: That's not what I'm here for. Right. I I gotta get I gotta get these these guys to to Rivendell. Sure. Um, and then his moment that I already mentioned at Helm's Deep, where he says, "Then I will die with them." Mm-hmm. is no no i'm their leader that means i'm with them right if i'm their king mm-hmm. then my job is to be here right um he shows open sorrow at gandalf's and boromir's deaths mm-hmm. um in the two towers he realizes that eowyn idealizes him He 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 he, he very clearly knows Mm. That she is crushing hard on him.
1: Aelwyn is the sister of Eower. Uh Eomer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh
0: who, who winds up, you know, uh putting on putting on male drag and you know going off to fight as a man.
1: Yeah, I am no man. That's yeah. right. He totally like he lets her down in the sweetest, kindest way.
0: Yeah, and he never looks down on her. No. He never ever looks down on her. Um and when we see him interacting with Arwen,
1: mm-hmm.
0: he is glowing with his, with his love for her.
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: And he, he absolutely embodies faithfulness in that. Mm-hmm. There's that whole long kind of weird uh, sequence in, like in the it two feels towers,
1: almost like a dream sequence between the two of them. Is that one? Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. what I'm, what I'm
0: thinking of is not is, is in the two towers, Mm-hmm you know, she gives him the the amulet talisman that he has around his neck, the, the right. pendant that he's wearing, and that that winds up being the thing he clings to when he's nearly killed when the war Riders attack in the second movie. Mm-hmm. And there is there is there's something that Jackson is trying to say in that whole sequence with all of that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not hundred percent like I've never been able to quite figure out exactly what it is, but very clearly there is, there is something there that is about his love for Arwen mm-hmm. being something that keeps him alive and okay. keeps him going.
1: Okay.
0: Um. And he starts the story with very, very deep seated self doubt. Yes. And he grows into confidence in his role over the course of the three movies. Mm hmm. Um he is a phenomenal warrior. We yes, see him we see him just being a complete badass. Yeah. Repeatedly uh in fight after fight after fight, mm-hmm. but he doesn't revel in combat. Gimli is the one who's like, All right, fight. All yeah, right, let's, let's
1: let's go, motherfucker. Gimli's let's stacking do this. dice while they're doing other things.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah while well, while the party is role playing, Gimli is right. the guy sitting there, you know, building the dice. Yeah, that's it. i've never done that i don't know what you're talking about um but but you know his uh, but aragorn is really good at it but he's not looking for a fight he you know um and so just a side note here that by all accounts vigo mortensen basically is this guy in real life yeah, um, I've, every I've read this. every yeah. every story you hear about him is how he's this humble, collegial, kind, sensitive animal lover. Yeah, you know who like everybody who's ever worked with him is like, oh yeah, no Vigo is one of the nicest people I've ever met in my entire life.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, um, so like, like being that kind sounds exhausting to me. Yeah, you know,
0: <laughs> I yeah I, I I totally get what you mean. Yeah, um, and so in all of these cases. Mm-hmm. Even the most macho men in the fellowship are reflective. Mm-hmm. They are openly emotive.
1: Yeah. They are... Like there's that scene where he broke his toe in the scene. Yeah. we. Yeah. Everybody right? knows that story. But it's the just scene awesome, still but... made it into the movie. Yeah. And it's a scene where they lost, I think, a couple of the hobbits. Yeah. And he despairs aloud. Yeah. And it's crushing him. Like mm-hmm. even in his failure, he he is he he's doing it the right way mm-hmm. because yeah. then he gets up mm-hmm. and okay, I guess we got to run after them now. You know, like yep. it's it's but there's like this. He feels the pain. He's not, I ain't got time to bleed. You know, yeah. he's not that. He's not.
0: <laughs> yeah. He's not, he's not yeah. a, uh, uh, he's not a parody of masculinity. He's not, yeah. you know, uh, machismo is the
1: punchline. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he yeah. 100% <clears throat> feels that in that moment and then yeah. he moves forward. Yeah. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Okay. So you're saying.
0: So yeah, no, just like you just said, they show real vulnerability and fear mm-hmm. and, and visually, I, I still can't stress this enough, they're not superlative examples of masculine power fantasy. Right. They're they're badasses, but it's not rooted in them looking physically powerful. Yeah. Okay. And and just before, you know, moving on, in in supporting roles, Theoden is a grizzled warrior king who again leads by service and self sacrifice.
2: Mm-hmm
0: he's he is he definitely embodies a certain traditional manly archetype but he has clear moments of doubt that do not ever unman him right denethor is an egocentric narcissist who favors his more macho son and whose strength shatters into madness when he faces defeat which is a living mm-hmm. indictment of the harsh father archetype yep okay so in every way the characterizations in Lord of the Rings directly refute the tropes that show up in the 80s movies. Yeah. Yeah. But the question is like why? From a from a historical standpoint. What are we looking at, right? Cuz that's what we do here. Yeah. So um Clarence Thomas got confirmed by to the Supreme Court of the United States in 1991. Despite the testimony of Anita Hill. Mm And, and like, I could go into the details of of the allegations, but it's gross. Um, And that showed how far feminism still needed to go, Mm -hmm. which catalyzed the third wave of feminism. Which And and so the third wave of feminism was called for by Re- Rebecca Walker in an essay in Ms. Magazine. Mm-hmm. I am not a post-feminism feminist, I am the third wave. And the cultural changes that were called for mm-hmm. by the third wave, by by third wave feminism, I believe had a very powerful impact on the The way that a new generation of people, men and women, viewed both women's roles in society and men's. And so that's one of the points mm-hmm. that I think I'm going to bring up in our next episode when I talk about the historical context of this. Okay?, uh, because this is this is a good place for us to to pause, Sure um and so that's that's kind of where we're going to go with that and then um i'm also then going to move move the timeline forward after that to talk about the other big fantasy juggernaut uh since the 80s boom which has to be game of thrones oh wow
1: okay and when you do i'm i'm going to be uh Assiduous about uh, that early 2000s thing because you know what oh, happened in the early 2000s. I
0: I do I do, and I'm I'm counting on you to be so. Okay, yeah.
1: good, yeah, because Dana Carvey still has to answer for that fucking movie. Um, but
0: yeah, <laughs> you're not gonna not gonna disagree with you. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. there's
1: other stuff that happened in the news too, but but uh, there you yeah. go. But no, I I look forward to that quite a bit because I okay. want to see the interplay of third wave feminism and the the gasping reaching grasp that it was unfortunately successful uh, of the second bush um and and the Cheney patrol so yeah where you, where you see a um <laughs> i mean i do not mean this as any way to to body shame anybody uh or ability shame anybody who suffers from erectile dysfunction but it is interesting to me that most of the cabinet were guys who defined masculinity in the Reagan era, uh, and bought into that bullshit. And most of them were the types of guys that the Viagra commercials were aimed at. Yes. And most of them killed a shit ton of people worldwide. So it just, yeah. Kind of a thing. So, yeah.
0: So, so based on what we've talked about so far, yeah. Before we get into all of that, what's your takeaway? Yes. What, uh, what does this leave you thinking about pondering?
1: oh man it honestly like um, it reminds me a bit of what we talked about with punk uh, with a uh, friend of the show Jason uh, Barger um, which is um, that there's this this secondary current or wave of post Clintonian success for white people because we are still talking mm. about largely white movies here oh yeah um you know i think yeah i think that's maybe why i said hey maybe the baseball team not the basketball team still because Mm -hmm. these movies were not aimed at uh black audiences and and basketball by this point uh is is uh getting um more more blackified um there's fewer white people going into uh yeah you know basketball um and so you know the 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 prosperity um, seems to have loosened up the strings and the tendrils of the masculinity and the the negativity of it, because what we're seeing mm-hmm. is like as as we come out of the 90s or come come through the 90s, masculinity is no longer one iconic thing mm-hmm. in these fantasy movies. So the escapism yeah. can be you just Different. don't have to be shitty to women. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. This um, this
0: this doesn't have to be like yeah. a constant rape fantasy.
1: Yeah, exactly. and a rescue fantasy. Like, like you don't have do you to. Thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Force a kiss on the damsel, and rescue her. Yeah, you know. So, yeah, I I, I see that positivity. And having just actually recently finished watching Game of Thrones, like mm-hmm. watch the whole thing. Bucket gets dark. Um, oh, which I, I look forward yeah. to seeing uh, what you do with that and and mm-hmm. adding a little bit in. So that's that's what I've gleaned is, is that um, once okay. again, the 90s seemed to be a really good time to be a white guy um, and in popular culture. Yeah. Um, and and there was a lot of flexibility allowed toward the definitions of masculinity at that
0: point. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly a lot more than there had been. Yeah.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's you know as as we've said before, um, you know, don't ask, don't tell was a huge step forward. Looking yes. back, it's shit. Um, Just look, but...
0: looking back, it's a massive half measure, but it was yes. still a big step forward. Yeah, yeah. it really was. So, yeah. but
1: anyway, uh, what you reading, or what uh, do you want to <laughs> tell people to read?
0: Um, I think what I'm going to tell people to read mm-hmm. uh, is uh, I'm actually going to recommend that people uh, pick up. Uh, the Fellowship of the Ring okay. um, the mostly because ah uh, both, okay, um because and and I actually I'm gonna say I kind of very strongly recommend reading reading the book at like like finding a way to kind of watch the movie at, like start reading the book, get a few chapters in,
1: mm-hmm. then
0: watch the movie, then finish the book, okay, because. I am consistent every time I revisit the movies because I've I've read the book way too many times. So every time I revisit the films it is fascinating to me to see how um all of the choices that that Jackson made mm-hmm. when he had to deviate from the book, he found a way to deviate that was the letter is different but the spirit is entirely there. Right? And I think, I think it's an amazing, it's an amazing example of a really, really loving and well thought out adaptation. Okay. So that's you. my recommendation. How about you? Okay.
1: I'm going to recommend, um, so, uh, what I got my master's degree in a hundred years ago was gender history specifically. Um, I looked at the concepts of femininity as as they were portrayed and interpreted by two different socialist groups in England um, surrounding the issue of suffrage. Okay, that's what I focused on. And as a result, I I a lot of. um, A lot of early century uh, issues of gender and stuff like that were, were kind of the backdrop of what I studied and 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 things like that. And I got to know several gender historians. Um, So as uh, with that as context, um, I'm going to recommend The Male Body at War, American Masculinity During World War II Mm. uh, by Christina Jarvis. Um, So there's a whole study that was happening in the early 2000s about masculinity and how it uh, how it shaped history. Um, There's a wonderful book about World War I, and I'll probably recommend it in the next one. Uh, okay. About the male body, um, in in that one as well. Um, yeah, I'm going to save that one for next time. But it was a fascinating look at World War One, uh, concepts of okay. affection, concepts of um, of of disability and and fitness and things like that. But this one is World War II. and specifically because um, you really see this more masculine kind of propaganda you see corded muscles in the propaganda posters and things like that mm. and so uh given what we're talking about and given where saint reagan came from and what <laughs> he pretended at um you know that's that era and so if mm-hmm. you want to get into a little bit of the mindset that kind of set set a tone or at least gave them a visual vocabulary okay or the 1980s movies um, I think that would be a good place to go. So, the male body uh, at war: America's ma- American masculinity during World War II. So, all right, cool. Well, where can Sounds folks uh, find you if you want to be found? Uh, to borrow from friend of the show Gabriel Cruz, because I've stopped wanting to be found places.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm available to be to be found at uh, Cat Fetcher mm-hmm. uh, on yeah cat fetcher her on um uh, twitter that's where i go by that handle now and uh on tiktok i am mr underscore blaylock uh and then of course we can be found at uh geek history time or geek history of time on twitter and uh, www.geekhistoryoftime.com is where you can find our website Obviously, you're listening to us, so you have found us on one of the podcast services uh, through which uh, we can be found there. Um, If you have found us uh, there, I beg of you to take a moment to uh, subscribe and uh, give us the five-star rating that you know we deserve. And where can you be found, sir?
1: Uh well you could find me at du harmony uh in the the pool of turds that is Twitter um <laughs> and honestly the best place to find me is uh let's see by the time this airs we might be doing the March show uh back at Luna's uh March third at eight p.m. uh bring proof of vaccination uh we encourage masking. Because um, we don't want you to get sick uh, just because you want to come out and see some amazing puns. But Capital Punishment will be at Luna's on March 3rd at 8 p.m. And it will be back at Henry's Bar on April 7th uh, right. at 8 p.m. So those are Very the two cool. shows that I'm doing locally in Sacramento. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's where you can find me for now. Come on down. Bring some money for merch. Bring some money to, uh, to eat. Uh, make a date of it. Um, bring your friends, make sure you're all safe, vaccinated, um, and get yourself tested. So yeah. Uh, well right. for Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony.
0: And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, keep rolling twenties.